Now Pastor Stokes will give his message. All right, here we are. Um, I did not set up the pulpit area, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but I'm ready to uh, address this week's message. Uh, actually, I need to pull something up here so I can see it. Let me do that. All right. So um, some of you are going to be disappointed because last week at the end, as we started talking, there was a lot of discussion about Israel and the gospel. And when I went through my final preparation, I realized I can't cover all of this in one week. So I'm going to address what the gospel is in its fullness this week. And next week, I'll address the Jews and the gospel. So some of you will have to save your questions for then. But I think when I answer those questions and when I discuss Romans 9, 10, and 11, it'll make more sense having this foundation that we're doing today. So in this series, we've been talking about what is the gospel. I mean, we've been talking about eschatology and two errors of Christian eschatology. One is replacement theology, and the other one is missing the point of the gospel. And we'll really talk more about that in these next two weeks. Then we talked about the creation that was up until the flood, and this present creation. This present creation is the one that God is working out his salvation. It's the focus of salvation, and it will become into full restoration before it is done away with. And then there will be a new creation. There's a little bit of an overlap there. We'll talk about that later. And that will be replaced. This creation will be replaced with that new creation, which has a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. We talked about salvation being of from the Jews, as Jesus told the woman at Samaria. The nations began at Babel. God separated mankind into the nations. And then he created a nation, a people, a culture, a way of life, a religion, if you will, to be the light to those nations and through whom he would bring his salvation. So the covenants belong to Israel. They're the focus of the promise, but they are not the entirety of the promise because the blessing continues to us Gentiles as well, the various nations. At the gathering of Israel and the kingdom to come, there will need to be a resurrection. So the return of Jesus will bring the restored kingdom to Israel and the resurrection from the dead. That restored kingdom of David with Jesus sitting on the throne of David, not his father's throne in heaven as he is now, Israel will then be the head of the nations and not the tail. And the Torah shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem to be shared with the Gentiles who will stream into that city and into that place to hear the ways of the Lord. So what we're going to do today is look specifically at the gospel and its relationship to the plan of God. And I'm doing this because in some sense, We've turned the gospel into one little thing, getting people saved. What I like to call, is you is or is you ain't God's baby. And that seems to be all that matters. If you say the magic words and you're going to go to heaven now, I accepted Jesus, he's forgiven my sins, and I'm going to go to heaven, seems to be the kernel of the gospel for everybody. Now, that's there. And we'll see that. But it's bigger than that. The gospel is good news, and it's much bigger than that. So the word gospel comes from an old English word that means good news. 
And that word has in general the same meaning as the Hebrew word from the text we're going to look at today, basar. And the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint and in the Greek New Testament for this same idea of good news, euangelion. The idea of all of these words are the idea of somebody bringing good news. So good news being brought by a messenger, which gladdens the heart of the hearer. So it's not just bringing news, it's bringing good news. So the word now, gospel, has taken on a theological connotation in Christianity, much more than in Judaism, simply because we talk, we use the gospel for everything. Gospel music, uh, if we mean something is the truth, we say that's the gospel. So the word has a lot broader sense in Christianity than it does in Judaism, but its primary meaning and its primary focus is that which is found in the Older Testament and the New Testament as the word gospel was used there. So we're going to talk about that because its roots are in the book of Isaiah, which I call the gospel in the Old Testament or the gospel in the prophets. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. And if I had a lot of time, I would go through 52 and 53. I'm just going to mention 53 because I'm, because it's the part that you know best. And I want to, I want to fill out the part where you may not uh, have that same understanding. We're going to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 52 of Isaiah, though it actually starts in the first verse. Um, I'll just refer to that part because I want to focus on this verses 6 to 15. So it says, therefore my people, speaking of Israel, shall know my name. Therefore in that day I am the one who is speaking, saying, here am I. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, watchmen, lift up their voice. They shall joyfully together. They will see with their eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shall joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of the nations, and all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Do not touch, uh, depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But, but you will not go out in haste, nor will you go out as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and exalted, and, as, and many will be astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle uh, many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what has not been told to them, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Incredible passage. This text is speaking to Zion and to Jerusalem. And it's saying that they are going to ultimately be cleansed and redeemed. The earlier text will say that Israel has suffered under the Egyptians and the Assyrians, but at last Israel shall hear the voice of God. 
this messenger will announce good news and they are to come out of the unclean city and the unclean conditions and be cleansed. And the Lord says his servant who will be lifted up and exalted, his appearance will be marred, but he will sprinkle many nations and they will see and understand what was not told to them. This is a very important passage because it's the starting point for the gospel. All the gospels begin by quoting Isaiah and tie John the Baptist into that with his quoting of Isaiah. So Isaiah is foundational to the four gospels that we have in the New Testament. It gives the good news to Israel, but it also states that the nations are included in this, even though they were not told that before. Israel was told these things. They didn't get it. So Israel says of them, they will hear, but they will not understand. They will see, but they will not perceive. That was the problem that's on Israel. I'll talk about that next week. And then he says, but those who have not been told will understand. The announcement of the good news is his focus. Now, in anticipation of what we're going to talk about next week, I want us to look at Romans chapter 10. So if you'll turn to Romans chapter 10. And I hope you're reading Romans 9, 10, and 11 so that uh, as I talk about it, it'll make sense to you and also it'll trigger some questions. In Romans 10, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher, without a messenger? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's quoting the passage in Isaiah. He's not quoting it in all its detail. He uses this idea. Notice there's a little difference where it said happiness, announcing happiness. Here he says announcing good things. He uses the word agathos, and that word means good, agreeable, or happy things. And I believe Paul is assuming that his readers know the book of Isaiah, and they understand the full context of what he's trying to connect. He's explaining the problem of the gospel for the Jews of his day much of which continues in our time. And I'm going to return to that next week as we examine the gospel and the Jews. But as I said, I want to fully understand the gospel first here. So we're going to go back to Isaiah, come back with me to Isaiah, and we're going to focus directly on verse 7, which is that explanation of what the good news is. What is this message that these people with beautiful feet have? What is that? So verse 7 says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, brings the gospel, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. There we have it. We have four things that are the gospel. Not just one, not just personal salvation. Four things that are the gospel. The good news includes peace, shalom. And then good things, translated here happiness, probably not the best translation. Then salvation, 
which we need to unpack a little bit, and the reign of the God of Israel over all the earth. So we're going to look at those this week and try to get a handle on that. The first thing that the good news announces is peace, shalom. The Greek word irenes is uh, connected, but the meaning is around this idea of shalom. Shalom doesn't simply mean peace, as in no war. It has to do with wholeness. It has to do with restoration. It has to do with the absence of any disruption. It includes relational peace between God and people, between people and people at the individual level, between people and people at the national ethnic level. That's international world peace. That's what everybody wants at every beauty uh, passion world peace, but they don't really have the sense of what it is. It's not just the nation stopping war. It is the wholeness and the fullness of the restoration. The announcement of the gospel is that peace. Now I want to talk about this because that peace is not fully here now, but we can have a aspect of it in our own lives. So in John's Gospel, uh, verse chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples that he's going to send the Holy Spirit and he will teach them and he will bring back to remembrance what he's taught them. And he says, uh, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. There is a peace of God that passes all understanding. This is what Paul's talking about when he tells us to cast our anxiety and our burdens on God. I am so grateful that in a time like this, when the world is in chaos, when there are wars and rumors of wars, when there are earthquakes and all kinds of stuff, and pestilence as we're experiencing, and these are not the end time ones. These are just early birth pangs towards that, that we don't have to panic. We don't have to be anxious. We have the peace of God that keeps our minds and hearts when we focus our mind on him. Now, in chapter 16 of John, verse 33, Jesus talks about this peace again that we have. And he says, uh, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now I want you to catch this. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you peace, but there's not peace in the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword to the world. He is really uh, going to overcome the world. He has overcome the world by his death, burial, and resurrection, but he hasn't brought that fullness of peace to the world. That will wait for him to return. So what he's done is he's saying, you don't have to wait. I will give you my peace. That's the good news of the gospel. We can have the peace that Jesus gives us, the peace that passes all understanding. We can have that, and in that we have peace with God, the scripture says, and peace with one another. Well, that peace with one another is not just with fellow Christians. It's really a, a peace between Israel and, and the Gentiles. So in Ephesians chapter 2,
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says these words. He's talking about Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he says, uh, he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself is our peace. Peace between Jew and Gentile who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by establishing in his flesh the enmity, which is in the law of commandments and ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new humanity, thus establishing peace, putting us on the same page, if you will, the page of his word. And what he does is he gives us peace between the believers of Yeshua in uh, the Jewish community and the believers of Yeshua in the nations, the various nations. And that should be what we should be striving for, because that's part of the peace that he has given us to have with each other. And then, of course, ultimately, there's going to be the peace of God that's going to cover the whole earth. That's what Isaiah 2, 4 is talking about when he says that ultimately the nations will stream to Jerusalem and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and the nations will not learn war anymore they will beat their weapons into plowshares. That will ultimately come to pass. But we have that peace now, and the whole world will have that peace, and the gospel is the announcement of that peace, which comes to the believer and is the first fruits of the peace that's going to happen to God. Now, the second thing it says is the uh, happiness in uh, Isaiah uh, 52. Seven, and that I think is not a good uh, translation. The Hebrew word there is tov. It means good. Means good stuff. Okay. Uh, he's talking about, and Paul quotes it directly that way from the Septuagint. He doesn't say happiness. He says this agathos, good stuff. Okay. I think happiness is watered down in English, and we should think of this as enjoyment of the good almost in the way Ecclesiastes talks about to eat and drink and to enjoy the labor of your hands. It is the gift of God. The point here is the joy that comes in the anticipation of expecting the good to be everywhere. Now we see that in Matthew chapter 5. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks about that. I was just going to read it quickly. He said, Jesus says, blessed. Some people translate that happy. So this is the idea of the person should be blessed and have anticipation of joy of what is coming. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll see it in its fullness. They'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for reward in the kingdom of heaven is great. In the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Jesus basically says that the announcement is also that the good things are there. I'm giving you a glimpse and don't worry if it's not all there because it is all certain. There is joy in anticipating and expecting the good things to come. So that's two of the things, peace and the enjoyment of good things to come. Well, what about that third thing that he talks about, announcing salvation? This is fascinating stuff. Now, the Greek word is soterion, and that's where we get our term soteriology for salvation. But we really need to see this from the Hebrew. Because the word here is Yeshua, salvation. Here we have a form of the name given by the angel to Mary. You shall call his name Yeshua, salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. That name in Greek, Jesus, and English, Jesus, doesn't give the same thing. It would. It really is almost as if we should say his name is salvation, right? That is incredible. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah Adonai, Christ the Lord. What an incredible thing. There's an announcing of salvation, and that salvation is in no other name but Yeshua, salvation. The Lord saves. What an incredible thing. That's the heart of the gospel, and we know that. Salvation is announced. His name is salvation, and we get this part, but this is what we often obscure to others, especially to Jews, which I will talk about again next week. But I want to give you two little verses uh, to think about. One is in Romans chapter 1 where Paul is thinking about this announcement of Yeshua, or this announcement of salvation. And he says in verse uh, 16, I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then in Ephesians, um, let me get there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says to us Gentiles, uh, he, he talks about the Jews accepting Yeshua, and now some Gentiles had accepted Yeshua. And he says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the good news of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed with him in the Holy Spirit of promise. The, the salvation announced to us for our purpose, for us to be given that. Now, we get that. We love that. But understand that that is one part of this announcement, not the whole announcement. And then there is a fourth one, and that is the reign of God. He says, you announce to Zion, your God reigns. It's not just any God. It's not just some God. It is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God whose name is in Zion. 
So Isaiah says that the nations will stream to Jerusalem at that time to learn the Torah and the word of the Lord. Well, Zechariah tells us the same thing. In Zechariah chapter 14, and if you've got your Bibles, you can go there quickly. Zechariah says that this is part of that good news. So he says, in that day, verse 4, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. This is Jesus returning and stepping on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives will split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Then he says, that this is a day that is unique and is known only to the Lord. That's the return of the Lord, right? No one knows the hour or the day of his coming. But it will come about at evening, there will be a light, and the living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half of them down to the Mediterranean Sea, and half of them down to the Dead Sea. In the summer as well as the winter, there will be plenty of Mayim Hayim, living waters. And then he says these words, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. What an incredible thing. The, the gospel is about the Lord reigning over all of the earth. It's not going to change the earth. It's the good news that the Lord is going to do this, and we're going to be part of that. Now, I want to give you another passage before I get back to Isaiah, and that is in Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 19, verse 6, he says, I heard a voice, and the voice says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This idea is that when the Lord returns, he's going to receive the throne of his father David and he's going to receive his bride. We are betrothed to the Lord, awaiting that time when we will be together. We are his bride, but we're separate and we will be together and we will always be with him and we will share in his kingdom on the earth. The kingdom of heaven will be on earth. Now, I want you to go back to Isaiah. Uh, 52, because this is going to lead up to what we're talking about next week and why the gospel is such a hard sell to Israel. So back to Isaiah 52. I'm going to pick it up at verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. We're going to see in Isaiah 53, he's going to explain that marring. He says, but he will sprinkle many nations. Notice this is not just Israel here. And the kings will shut their mouth on account of them. For what has not been told them, they will see. The Jews have the advantage. To them were given the covenants and the promises. They should know what's going on. But, but Isaiah says they see but don't perceive and they hear and don't catch it. And yet those who didn't seek the Lord find him. Right? So we go on into chapter 53. 
So who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look on him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He is despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. But our griefs he has borne, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's the mindset of the Jews. He must have done something wrong. He was pierced, though, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him, and by his scourgings we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, each turning his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. But oppression and judgment he has taken away, and as for his generations, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, that's Israel, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He would prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper. That can only happen if he's raised from the dead. So even in this chapter on the crucifixion and burial, we see the resurrection. As a result of the anguish of his soul, God will see it and be satisfied by the knowledge, by his knowledge, the, the righteous one, my servant, justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. And I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the, the, uh, the treasure with the strong because he has poured out himself to death, numbered with the transgressors. He himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now you can understand what Paul is talking about when in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, and by which you are saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, Isaiah, and that he was buried, Isaiah, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, Isaiah. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he goes on. Paul is giving this announcement regarding the focus of the salvation to the Gentiles because the other things they don't have a lot of understanding. He has a harder time explaining to them the peace of God and the good things of the kingdom to come and the rest of the good news which is part of that because he is focusing on that part salvation that the Gentiles will be able to pick up. We're going to see that next week it is this crucifixion this burial, this resurrection that is the stumbling block to Israel. 
because they're focused on the fact that there is no peace and there are no good things and the reign of their God has not happened. So Jesus can't be the Messiah. He hasn't accomplished the bringing of the reign of God and the peace and the good. And because we don't talk about it in, in part and tell about the rest that's going to happen, we act as if it's all happened. They don't get it. So we misrepresent Jesus to the Jews. Now, if we do it to the Gentiles, they don't know what's not correct. But if we do it to the Jews, they know something's not quite right here, especially when we tell them that Jesus died to get rid of the Torah. They can't believe that the Messiah would die, but he certainly wouldn't die to get rid of the, the Torah. But Paul says we don't get rid of the Torah, we establish it. So the good news is peace and good things that bring joy and salvation that is found in Yeshua. And this established salvation will come to its fullness. He will ultimately establish peace and all good things when he returns as King of Kings. And then all Israel will be saved. But there is a glitch because Israel doesn't seem to get it. And the Gentiles seem to get it, but the Gentiles don't understand it well, and the Jews who understand it then don't get it because it's a stumbling block to them. And that's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is talking about, and we're going to address that next week. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, I'll take some questions if you have them. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you 